Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, down to verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the uh, flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, uh, in opening my mouth. Uh, for me, that word may be given to me to open my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare in boldness as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to a, a familiar passage in regards to the armor of God. But in this familiarity, we ask, Lord, that this morning you might breathe a fresh understanding, a, a fresh sense of the Spirit of God as to what uh, uh, Paul is saying here and what we are called not only to be, but also to do. And we ask, Lord, that you might receive the glory because as we proclaim your word, the word is out to transform us. And that transformation is that we become more and more even like Jesus Christ. Thank you. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It's been over a year that the Russian-Ukraine war and it continues to wage on even in this year. The drug war, sadly, has taken the lives of many people, especially as there's been an increase in the use of fentanyl. The war against sex exploitation, seen in the sex trade market in the parts of Asia and countries like Cambodia, Thailand, the war against poverty has been in the past, and it's a campaign even today, continues in the political arena, even now as we battle the rise of homelessness. As we see tents line up on the streets in places across America. You know, there's a term when it comes to war, and that term is called Rules of Engagement, ROE. Before you engage in the enemy, there are certain requirements that we need to follow. 
if you've been in the military. I have never been in the military, but my three other brothers have. And some of those rules and engagement in, involves things like, before you fire the first shot, you better know who you're shooting at. You better know who your friends are, your allies, so that you don't end up committing what is called friendly fire. You better know your enemy, because oftentimes your enemy are disguised. And really, the enemies we have sometimes end up becoming victims of the enemy. You better know how to use your weapon. In military circle, the rifle, the machine gun, or the rocket launcher. Okay, You better know how to call for reinforcement through either the walkie-talkie or your mobile phone. Whatever thing that is needed in war, there are rules of engagement that needs to occur. Well, in the passage that's before us, we have a war. We have a spiritual war, a war against a spiritual enemy that has been ongoing since the dawn of time, back in Genesis chapter 3, even to this day, and will continue until that day in Revelation 20, when Satan, the false prophet, as well as the beast will be cast into what is called the lake of fire. So this morning, what I want to talk about is how we are waging warfare against an enemy. And in waging that warfare, there needs to be rules of engagement. I want to remind us that we are not on a cruise ship. I know many of you who are in my stage in life, we love cruises. My wife always tells me, oh, we need to go on another cruise. And cruises are okay. But really, as John Piper says, we are more in a battleship. And in that battleship, what do we do? We are called to be alert and to be ready because we are at war. But more than being at war, it's also necessary this morning that I have to convince you that we are in war. There's a difference. There's a difference. Russia and Ukraine may be at war from our perspective in the United States, unless you have some link to those two countries. But really, spiritually speaking, we are in war. And so as we come to this passage in Ephesians, which speaks about rules for engagement in the area of spiritual warfare, I want to mention two, three things in a few moments from now. If you know anything about the book of Ephesians, it is a book that uh, entails three parts. The first part is found in chapters 1, 2, and 3. It talks about who you are in Christ, how you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Then when you get to chapters 4 and 5 and 6, verses 1 to 9, it talks about your walk in Christ, how you are to behave, how you are to conduct yourself in the body of Christ. And finally, you get to the section on standing. For Christ. Uh, some of you have heard of Watchman Nee. He wrote a little booklet on the Ephesians. It was entitled Sit, Walk, and Stand. And that becomes an excellent way of structuring the book of Ephesians. 
in these three parts. Sit with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. Walk in this world that we are in, in a way that we conduct ourselves. And then finally, we need to stand and stand firm. And so as we get into this passage, I want to say that really, we don't just have one enemy as mentioned here, but we really have three enemies. And those three enemies have been already introduced in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. If you turn back there, take a look at who they are. First of all, it says, You are dead in trespasses and in sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Who are your three enemies? First of all, sin. The sin inclination, or some people call it the sin nature that we all have. Another term for it is our own flesh. It was passed on from Adam to every human being that has been born in this world. And all of us have a sinful inclination or a sin nature. Secondly, it's the world that's around us, the cosmos. And then the third enemy, of course, as we see it in chapter 2, is the prince of the power of the air, or none other than Satan himself, as we see in chapter 6. And so we are waging war against many enemies, but the specific enemy we want to look at is found for us here in chapter 6, 10 to 20. And so what are the three rules of engagement? The three rules are found in three commands that are given for us. First of all, it is be strong. And you find that in verses 10 to 13. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His name. Secondly, stand firm. And that's found for us in 14 to 17. And finally, in verses 18 to 20, pray. Pray. Now I want us to take heart that Jesus has said that in this world, we are going to have trials, tribulations, and testing. But I have overcome the world. And so, even though Jesus has overcome what has taken place in this world, especially on the cross through his death, we find that there is still an ongoing battle that's being waged. Okay? I'd like to give another message of the book of Revelation 21 and 22 that is entitled... In the end of time, Jesus wins. And that's what you find in the end of the Bible, that Jesus indeed wins. So let's dive into it in these moments that we have as we look at verses 10 to 13 as we are utilizing the first rule of engagement, which is to be strong in the Lord. So I ask you, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? Well, first of all, as you look at that command, it's exactly that. It's a present tense command. It's a command that is given to you and I that needs to be ongoing in our life. But the key thing about be strong in the Lord is that it is in the passive voice. By that I mean the key is not found in us where we are actively strong within ourselves, but rather... We are passive because we are strong 
in the Lord and in His strength. It's not, in found, it's not found in us to do this spiritual battle. It's about Him and Him alone. That's why the book of Ephesians is very clear as it repeats in back in chapter 3 about this whole area of prayer and being strengthened and powered and being enabled by Him and Him alone. Now, why do I bring that up? Because we live in America. We live as rugged American individuals, okay? We say, this is made in America and it's good, in contrast to what is made in China or Japan or other countries, which is bad. And we have that sense of identity that if we make it, we can do anything, okay? We can do anything, we can go anywhere, and when we have that individualistic perspective of life, uh, we're going to transport it so easily into you know, our Christian life and into the Christian church. Why do you think the popularity of the megachurch is so you know, uh, expanding? It's because you can do it. You can build it up. You can make your life count. You can achieve. You can accomplish. Well, I want to say to you, you're strong, not because you are, but because of the Lord and because of the strength the Lord is. One author says that if Satan had a tactic to neutralize the church and the Christian, it would be to keep us independent of God in their busyness to do the work of God. Did you hear that? You can be so busy in the work of God in church, so busy in the disciplines of prayer, Bible reading, and having your devotions, that it ends up being independent of God. Because I'm doing it. I've accomplished it. And that's why it's so important to establish this first rule. Be strong in the Lord. Now the next question that we need to ask is, how? How can I be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might? Well, it tells us in verse 11. And what is it? You put on the full armor of God. Notice this aspect of the armor of God is mentioned two times. And it's not just only mentioned about the armor of God. It's talking about the full armor of God. You see that in verse 11 and also in verse 13. Take up the full or the whole armor of God. Why? Because the purpose of the armor is that we have an enemy that is full of spiritual wickedness and tricks that he casts at us. It talks about how we may be able to stand against the schemes or the trickery or the arsenal of this enemy. You know, if you're going to do spiritual battle, brothers and sisters, as a church, even as individuals, we need to see that we need to have the full armor because of the full arsenal of tricks that the evil one has. And you might say, well, what are some of those? Explain it to me. Well, I think one of them is this area of fear. The fear that the evil one can instill in our lives that paralyzes us from either taking a step forward or paralyzes us from moving beyond 
the issues that our lives face. How do I know that? Because in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Satan is described as what? A roaring lion. Why mention the word roaring? Because whenever a lion roars in the jungle, it paralyzes the praise that he's about to pounce on. It causes them to stand still because of the fear that's being instilled you know, among the animals. Maybe another thing that is brought into our lives is doubt and discouragement. As I look out, I see more young people that are coming here to Maranatha Bible Church. And sometimes you may be doubtful of your faith or discouraged because of trials and difficulties. Well, Satan is like a, a snake that is described back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, where he slithers and he begins to plant things like, you know, do you really believe this Bible that was written by human authors? Do you really believe that you're going to go to heaven just because you've repented and placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do you really believe there's a heaven? Because heaven really is on earth. In fact, where is God when I face some of the trials and difficulties in my life? You know, all those things are part of the subtle way that Satan comes into our lives and brings doubt and discouragement. Maybe the final one is found for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10, where we find that he is called, what? An accuser. A one who condemns us. Who brings guilt into our lives. He points his finger like, a, like an, a, a, an attorney in a court of law and says, you know, look at you. You commit that sin again. You know, are you really a child of God? Do you really have salvation? And, the, and as he accuses us and condemns us, he brings guilt on us, we begin to see that really there's a battle going on in our lives. And so that's the reason why uh, we need to have this first uh, rule of engagement uh, in our lives. And so finally, oh, I'm all messed up. <laughs> because my sheets are all messed up. So, bear with me. You know, these things do happen to pastors and people, <laughs> including Sam. <laughs> okay. Am I back on track? No, I'm not. <sighs> there are some pastors that, that can teach, you know, and speak, you know, without notes. I'm not one of them. So I admit my fallibility. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll do the best I can. Okay. We started by saying in verse 10, it says, finally be strong. Now we get to verse 13, where it uses the term, therefore. Okay. As Paul gives these final words, he comes to the conclusion of this section by saying, therefore. Therefore, in verse 13, I want you to take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having stand firm. 
Take up this armor that God has provided for us. Now, the question is raised, where did he get this idea of this armor? I mean, where did it come from? Well, if you know anything about the book of Ephesians, it's a prison epistle. And in the prison that he was in, which is in Rome, and he was there two times, he saw Roman soldiers dressed in their armor, oftentimes with the first three pieces of the armor. Okay. And then other times when they took up the other three pieces of their armor. And as Paul saw them standing there, he associated those pieces of the armor to the spiritual battle that we are in. And as we take up the, these, three, these pieces of the armor, I want us to see that the key here is to stand firm. Okay. I know there are other verbs here, but they are supportive of this primary verb, which is stand firm. Okay. And as you stand firm, you're able to withstand the ev in the evil day and ha having done all, stand firm. So he goes through six of the pieces of that armor. And as we uh, break into it, uh, we're going to have limited time. So bear with me as we go through some of these pieces of the armor. The first one is called the belt of truth. So what is the belt of truth? The belt of truth is where all things are pulled together. It's the belt that is worn, that ties everything together. It holds everything up. And isn't that the case when it comes to the Christian church, the Christian life? Truth in contrast to experience. Truth in contrast to, you know, people's opinion. Truth is the battle that you and I have even today. We battle against the father of lies, as John 8, 44 says. He's the father of lies. And out there are a lot of lies and deceptions that takes place. And Ephesians talks a lot about truth. Okay, We need to love one another in truth. We need to walk in the truth. Okay, We need to live by truth. That's why that belt is so important. Then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness in the second part of verse 14, where he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. So, and the breastplate is to cover this part of our body. As Paul noticed it on the soldier, it protects the vital organs of our heart, our lungs, okay, our kidneys, the stomach. And any type of wound that hits that area can be deathly to any individual. Now that breastplate is associated with righteousness. Okay? And that righteousness speaks of the righteousness of God that guards our heart, our attitude from what? It guards it against self-righteousness. It guards against things like pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency. And, and sometimes it's not visible on the outside but internally, when you check out your heart, you realize there is pride and arrogance inside. Um, somebody has said that the four enemies that are found internally in our lives is I, me, my, and mine. 
And that was the problem of Satan, where he exerted himself and said that I will be like God. And that's why this breastplate of righteousness is something that we need to put on and keep on. Isn't it interesting that back in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about put off and put on. And as you put on this new self that's created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And as you do that, you put away things like falseness. You put away anger. You put away uh, pride. You put away attitudes of bitterness and resentment. And so this breastplate protects us from those attitudes that are found internally in our lives and how easily it can come forth from our lives. The third piece is found for us in verse 15. And what is it? It has to do with the soldier's shoes. Now I know when you go shopping, there are many different styles of shoes, many colors of shoes, and many companies that puts out shoes. So footwear is important back then as is now. But the footwear that Paul is speaking about is related to the battle. And that's why many of these pieces of the armor takes us back to the book of Isaiah where it addresses these pieces. In Isaiah 52 verse 7 it says, How lovely are the feet of those people who bring the good news. And what good news is that? That our God reigns. And for that reason, the shoes is a reminder that we are in a battle in which, what? God rules and reigns. He's the one who's in charge. He takes over. I like the words of that hymn that sometimes we sing. It's a hymn of commitment. It's a hymn that I believe that was sung at our wedding 44 years ago. It says, take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. And so this footwear having to do with the gospel of peace is related to having peace with God that leads us to have peace with one another as believers in Christ. And if you have an understanding of the book of Ephesians, you've got to realize that the church in Ephesus was a church that was made up of Gentiles and Jews. And whenever you bring two different classes of people, two cultures, what do you have? You usually have clashes going on, the misunderstanding of one group with another group. It exists even today where you have multilingual, multi-congregational churches. There are ongoing clashes. And so as we put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, it's not only the gospel of peace that is shared to those that need the gospel of Christ, but it's also practiced within the body of Christ as we learn to live with one another, with our different backgrounds and our different cultures, our different opinions, and so forth. So those are the first three pieces that we are to put on and keep on all the time. The belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes that's related to the gospel of peace. Notice, when we get to the next three, starting in verse 16, he adds this word, in all circumstances, okay? Another translation, in addition 
to take up. Why does he say that? Because I think you're going to find the next three pieces are pieces that we normally don't carry all the time. We don't carry all the time the shield of faith. We don't carry on all the time that helmet of salvation. We don't carry all the time the sword of the spirit. Okay, We take it up when the time calls for it. And so let's examine it. We take up the shield of faith when the time calls for it. Okay, And when is it called up? When we experience fiery arrows of the evil one. The shield of faith wasn't just a, a small little shield that sometimes you see that covers maybe your head and you move it up and down your body. It's a, a big shield that goes from the shoulder all the way down to near your feet. It covers the whole soldier. And so the case with you and I. When we're called upon, we need to wrap that shield of faith because Satan is out to throw darts at you and I. He's throwing out the darts of accusation, the darts of guilt, the doubt of dark, the doubt of fear. All of those things are things that will destroy our faith if we don't put on that shoot of faith or take up that shoot of faith. You know, God wants to build our faith. And the way we build our faith is to take up the shoe so that we can prevent it from coming upon us. Then he talks about the helmet of salvation in verse 17. It's a covering over our head that protects a very vital part of our human body, our mind, our head. And anything that strikes our head can cause unconsciousness. It could cause us to have thinking that is convoluted or twisted and so forth. Why do you think in sports activities, especially when it comes to contact sport, you know, players wear helmets, whether in hockey, whether in uh, uh, football. It's because we know that we're, we're going to be hitting against one another. And so this helmet protects our head so that we would not be attacked by the trickery of sin in regards to lies and thoughts that are planted in the mind of all of us. The Bible talks about how Satan has blinded the minds of people who are unbelievers. And for us who are believers, we are attacked by things like negative thoughts and destructive thoughts. Um, one of the biggest problems today that we are facing, especially among the younger generation, is this whole area of, of the problem that technology and our society has brought in terms of who they are and their identity. And the issue of, uh, you know, uh, not knowing who they are and over time it can lead to negative thoughts and it can lead down the path of destructive thoughts, which ultimately leads to one of the highest problems among our generation, which is suicide, where their life is meaningless, there's no purpose, and so what's the best thing to do is to end one's life. And so for us, it can happen as well where we see no purpose or meaning in our lives. So that helmet protects us. And it reflects back to our salvation. 
Okay, and that salvation in regards to uh, the eternal life that Christ has brought into us because of the faith that has been expressed in trusting Christ because of our repentance from sin. These five pieces, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the sheep, the shield, and then the helmet, they are all defensive. They protect us. And notice, there's nothing in the back of the soldier. And the reason for that is there's no retreat when you advance in a battle. It's always moving forward. The only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit. And that sword is mentioned, as you can see, in verse uh, the latter part of verse 17. The sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Now, it's not an issue of how many times that the Bible has gone through you that is important. Rather, it's how you are applying the Word of God in your life. You can read through the Bible year after year. You can read through the New Testament in one year or the Old Testament in one year. And that's needed. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But it's how you are applying and letting it transform your life so that you may be able to make application of the truth of God's Word. It's an interesting word when it uses the sword of the Spirit. Most of us think of the sword as maybe a javelin that is strong. I mean, you've seen some of these uh, different movies from, what, the Avenger or, you know, gladiators, and we usually think of that big sword that is strong. Okay, It isn't. It's a short sword that is sharp on both edges and is used for close combat. And when it comes to being offensively defended, that sword is used, you know, in the battle. And so as you thrust that sword, it's double-sided, it's utilized in face-to-face combat and does damage to your your opponent. I think the best illustration that I can use of how the Word of God is is put into practice is when when Jesus faced Satan in temptation, what does he do? He speaks out of the scriptures. Okay, it is written. But where does he speak from? He speaks out of Deuteronomy, a book that most of us, if we start the new year and we read the Bible from Genesis, Exodus, Slowing down in Leviticus, we pick up a little bit in Numbers, but when we get to Deuteronomy, it seems like everything is repeated again. So why should I read that book? Well, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy about all the Old Testament books when he addresses the attacks of Satan. And so, as I said earlier, the transformation of God's Word So if I were to say to you, or if you were counseling someone who's facing fear or being afraid, where would you go? You you can say, hey, go to the Bible. It talks about not to be afraid. But where would you go specifically? What verse would you point out? What passage? Or if I were to ask you, hey, uh, someone comes to you and talks to you about anxiety or worry, okay? You know, I worry about this. I'm worried that I'm growing old. I worry that I'm going to 
have cancer or I'm going to die on the road. I worry that I'll catch COVID again. Whatever the worry may be, where will you go to bring out specifically passages from God's Word that will address that issue? For fear, Psalm 27. For worry, maybe Matthew 6 or uh, over to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Or maybe feelings of abandonment. That, you know, you come from a broken home and uh, your father has abandoned you. Or maybe the mother has or you from from a home in which uh, it's divorce. Whatever the case might be, you know, you've lived up with a sense that is God going to abandon me? Is he going to leave me? Okay, is he going to forsake me like my parents did? Well, where would you go for that? That's what I mean. Using God's word in specific ways to do spiritual battle. So, as we come to the close of the second rule of engagement, to be strong, we come now to the third one. And as we do so, uh, we are to be strong, not in ourselves, but in Christ. As we have a real enemy, we need to stand firm, clothed with the armor of God. And then thirdly, in 18 to 20, we need to pray. Okay. And it's interesting that Paul would bring prayer into it. And he mentions it how many times in, in these verses? Okay. He mentions it by saying, praying, all prayer, supplication, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the sins. I mean, I think he mentions what, five, six times? Okay, talking about different types of prayer. Okay, and why, why is prayer so significant to Paul? Why is it significant to you and I as believers in Christ? Because it shows that we are not independent individuals. It shows that we trust in God. One of the DNAs of our ministry, Word Partners, is that we want to trust God for ministry. We want to trust Him, that He will do His work, and who am I? I'm just but a vessel or an instrument to do that work through, and I'm trusting Him to do that work. And that's the attitude that we come with prayer, okay? And over the years, our ministry organization has grown in this era of prayer dependence and uh, trusting God for the outcome. And with our recent president who came on about two years, well, about a year and a half ago, I can see that he's a man of prayer and he emulates it as he leads our leadership in this area on a regular basis. Okay? And so Paul reflects that as well. There's no less than two times in chapter 1, at the end of the uh, chapter, and at the end of chapter 3, what does he do? He launches us into prayer. If you want to know how to pray, pray the prayers found in the Bible, especially the prayers of Paul, at the end of chapter 1, end of chapter 3. And it will help expand your perspective of why Paul, an apostle of Christ, depended upon God. Okay. And that's what we find as he continues on in verse 19. I want you to pray for me. Okay. Time and time again, 
people come up to Bev and I and say, hey, we're praying for you. And you don't know how much that means to us when they say that. Now, I hope they're saying it out of truthfulness and not out of just courtesy, because that does happen. It's kind of like you sometimes. When you walk by Pastor Sam after a Sunday morning message, say, good message, good message. And why are you saying it? Is it truly a good message? Did it bring conviction into your life? Did it bring transformation in the areas of your life that you've been hiding and covering up? Or is it truly, truly a good, godly message that brought transformation? And likewise in prayer. Paul says, pray for me. And he prays in two ways, if I could bring up. Pray first of all, that words may be given to me to what? Open my mouth. I think when it comes to sharing the gospel, we need that prayer, don't we? How often do I, traveling on an airplane, sitting next to someone, and I say, God, pray for, pray, you know, give me the words as I step across my comfort zone from my seat in an economy class and talk to this other person who's sitting next to me. And that's true in your workplace as well that person who's sitting next to you, the person you've gotten to know, or even to a fellow student that you see at school. Pray for me that I may, what? Open my mouth. And then the second thing you pray for is what? Boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And he doesn't mention that word boldly just once. He mentions it again in verse 20, that I may declare proclaim, share it boldly as I ought to speak. Maybe one of the things that this morning as you leave this place and as I end in about two minutes is to say, God, I'm praying that you will cause boldness in my life as I proclaim your good news to other people. Yes, we live it out through our lives. We live it out through the kindness that is shown. We live it out through the generosity that we express to people. But we also need to proclaim that good message of Jesus Christ to people. And it can just start with a testimony of your life. It could start as easy as, well, what did you do last, this weekend? And they'll say, oh, you know, I went to a ball game or I went to a movie. And then hopefully they'll reciprocate back and say, well, what did you do? Well, here's the test. Will you say, oh, I had a chance to go worship at church and was able to hear from God's word. And that can lead to saying, you know, do you go to church? Or, you know, have you, you know, ever, you know, had a, you know, a, a spiritual relationship or heard of Jesus Christ or the Bible? You see, God sets it up for you but are we going to seize that opportunity? And I trust that from the life of Paul, he says, you want to be engaged in this warfare that we are in, then pray. Because God says when you pray, he's going to bring about many opportunities into your life. And so as I come to a close, I hope you see that not only are you praying 
in this area of warfare, but you also drawing upon the resources that are found in the riches that are found in Jesus Christ, in the strength that he'll give you, okay? And not to just keep it to yourself, but learn to release it, to let it go, and to share with others. And that's what missions is all about. God has truly blessed us, the church in the United States, the church here at Maranatha. Are you willing to release prayer as well as the resources that God has given you in order to wage this battle? We wage it in different ways, in our different environment, our different circle. None of, but you can wage it also out there in the world as you pray, as you give, as you participate in what God is doing. Isn't the bottom line the same thing that was given to us back in Genesis chapter 12? And what is it? We are blessed in order to be what? A blessing. God blessed you. Then be a blessing to others. And as you bless them, you're involved in this warfare that God has called us to. And as we are in that warfare, put into practice those way, uh, rules of engagement, of being strong in Him, standing firm, and appropriating what we have in Christ through prayer. Let's go ahead and pray. This morning before I close, I just want to give you just a few moments to not hear my voice, but hear the voice of the Spirit of God through the Word of God that I have proclaimed in a feeble way. God says He'll honor His Word. He didn't say He'll honor my words, and I'm glad for that. And as God has spoken, may you see some changes in your lives that you will step forth as you leave this service and go from this place so that he might be declared even more greatly and boldly uh, to those people around you. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that you have called us to yourself through Jesus Christ, but you have also called us in this world to be a part of the spiritual battle in. Thank you that in the end, our Lord Jesus Christ will win. And thank you that we are on the side that will win. Encourage us, we pray. And Lord, if there's any who are here that are spiritually struggling in their own lives, things like fear and doubt, may they take time to speak to someone, one of the elders, or to someone around, so that the Word of God will speak into that person's life issues. And we'll be careful to give you the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.